Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. Our study this season is titled Jesus and Me Today. We know Jesus is coming back. With that in mind, what does your today look like? Here's Jacqueline. I would like to open today by reading a psalm and then praying and then getting into our study. Can we do that? We started our Jesus and Me Today. We are on week two of our lesson. The title of this lesson today is Get What You Want. Anybody look at that ahead of time before coming in for this study and wonder what, why are we being so demanding today? And I encourage you, be demanding. Get what you want. If you were asked right now, how would you answer that question? What do I want? I have a feeling 22,000 things went through our head in all different categories, financial, physical, spiritual, marriage, children, grandchildren, health, right? We have a lot of things. We think of our house. We think of our car. We think of our campers. (laughs) We think of our weather. I would have said I want sunshine. In fact, it's all I thought about yesterday. No, I thought about a lot of things yesterday, but I thought about the summer all day yesterday, mm-hmm. just telling God I'm so ready to be hot. I just want to be hot. Yes. <sighs> hate being cold. I just want to be hot. What do you want? What is that? And then think about it a little bit more and take out the surface things because we're always going to want a new, you know, I don't know. I was going to say something from the kitchen, like a instant pot. Is that what it's called? I don't even know. It took me years to bring out my crock pot. I've learned how to use that. I'm not ready to learn another thing in the kitchen. So take out those surface things. Take out those relationship things. Go through your list. Get down to our foundation that we talked about last week. Lord Jesus Christ. What do you want? That right there. Will you even write that down? What do you want? What is it? Let's read Psalm 27. As we think about what we want, David pondered that himself. We're not going to do a study on David, but I highly recommend if you don't know much about David, you can go to your YouVersion app. You can put in your search. You can put in the word David and read some passages about David and learn from him. Learn about him. David wrote these words in regards to the question, what do I want? And how do I get what I want? He writes these words in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet in this I will be confident. One thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, there are things that we want. Those things are on our heart right now as we ponder exactly in detail what we want. And for so many of us on our heart, we can just sum it up by saying the name, the Lord Jesus Christ how we long for you. We want you. We want you today, Lord Jesus. I pray that you will help us. I pray that you'll open our eyes to that thing that we want in our relationship with you. I pray that you'll open our hands, that you'll guide our feet, that you'll move our words, that you'll use us to attain exactly what it is we want. Give us that strength. Give us that stamina. Remind us the rock on which we stand. And I pray that you'll help us today to take hold of that thing, that one thing that we ask of the Lord. May we seek it today. I pray that you'll be with us as we look over Psalm 27. I pray that you'll guide us in Mark chapter 8. And I pray that you'll grow us, grow us each and our sweet, sweet relationships that we have with you, God Almighty. We thank you for this relationship that you've given to us through the name of your sweet son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Psalm 27 is good. Yes. Not good. Yes. David ponders that question, what do I want? And he sums it up and he says this one thing I have asked of the Lord. And then he gives a three part one thing. Do you see that? What do you want? I, we can relate to that. What do you want? Oh, I want this one thing and I want it to be exactly like this. This is what David says. This one thing I'm asking the Lord. And then he says three things. Did you write down before we wrote, read Psalm 27 or while we read Psalm 27, that one thing? Can you sum up one thing? If you could ask the Lord right now, today for one thing, what would it be? Write that down. That's my encouragement. He says a couple of times in this chapter, 
this one thing I want, that I will seek after. And then he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. Remember the differences in David's day and the difference in our day. The difference in David's day is to be in the temple of the Lord, to be in the presence of the Lord, you had to be in the physical temple of the Lord. In our day, to be in the presence of the Lord, you have to be the temple of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? We live in the desire that David had. Wrap your head around that. Jesus Christ came as the eternal Son of God. He lived in the human flesh. He died on a wooden cross. He was buried in an empty tomb. <laughs> then he made it empty again. So Jesus did. He rose again. And when he rose again, he offered to us a free gift of salvation and said, you believe on me, you will have eternal life. And when we believe on the name of Jesus Christ, we are therefore filled with the Holy Spirit of the Lord. We are therefore, according to 1 Corinthians, the temple of the Lord. You are the temple of the Lord. You. Hebrews gives great detail. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, beautiful studies on the temple of the Lord. The contrast of the temple of the Lord of the Old Testament and the temple of the Lord today. The temple of the Lord today is you. You are the temple of the Lord. David says this one thing that I ask of the Lord is that I can dwell in the house of the Lord. You can put a check mark next to that with the date on which you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are the temple of the Lord. You already attained that one thing that David longed for. That's amazing. He says, that's the one thing I went to seek, to live in the house of the Lord. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, will you seek Jesus? That's my encouragement to you. He says, this is why, this is why I want to be in the house of the Lord. The reason I want to be in the house of the Lord is because I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Have you ever just sat and thought about that? What the beauty of the Lord looks like? I absolutely love, this has been a verse of mine since, let's call it 2012. I've loved, loved this passage. Absolutely love it. It's something that has gone with me. It's a life. You know how you have those life verses? This is a life verse of mine. And I got this verse around the time I started falling in love with teaching women. I started teaching women for the first time in 2008 and then started to like it, started to love it. It took a little <laughs> while. Sometimes being with women, a little tough. No. No. no, women are peaches. We are amazing. We are amazing. We're miraculous creatures for sure. But around 2012, this verse just sat upon my heart and it was just with me all the time. And I would think about what the beauty of the Lord looks like. And then I would go and teach women. And I would think about the beauty of the Lord and I'd go and speak to women. And then I would think about the beauty of the Lord and I would write a book for women. And it like hit me one day, being with the women, with the daughters of God is such an easy, easy way to behold the beauty of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. God has created each and every one of us in the beauty of his image. So important to have people in our lives, isn't it? Loneliness is not good. Separation is not good. Keeping yourself from people is not good. Put yourself out there and behold the beauty of the Lord in a relationship that is founded in Jesus Christ. We get to behold the sweet beauty of the Lord. 
We also get to behold the beauty of the Lord when we're on our knees, when we're in our prayer position, when we're in that chair, in the car ride, wherever it is that you are with the Lord, in your words, in your mind's eye, you get to behold the beauty of the Lord. When you're out and about, when you get to see the trees, I love winter trees. I love winter trees. People are like, oh, fall, the colors of fall. No, thank you. They do nothing for me. Like, oh, it's cute. Not a fall person. And then all the leaves fall, thankfully. And then you get to see all the branches of winter trees. And the branches are so beautiful because you don't get to see them year round. We don't get to see the imperfection and the identity of every single tree. And when a tree is raw and the beauty of the tree has been removed and all you have is the trunk and all you have are those branches and you get to see exactly what God created that tree to look like, there is a majestic beauty about a winter tree. I love branches. I love branches. And every time I see these branches, I think of John 15 and the promise of the vine and the branches. There's beauty in those winter trees. You get to behold the beauty of the Lord just by looking at his creation. And it doesn't matter what season you're in. It doesn't matter what season you favor. The beauty of the Lord is all over the place. And then he wants to inquire. He wants to meditate in the temple. I wonder how, much of it, how many of us wrote that down. What's that one thing I asked of the Lord? How many of us wanted to meditate on the word of God. He wanted to meditate. He wanted to stay, remain fully in the house of the Lord so he could see the beauty of the Lord and to meditate. That's precious. That's sweet. And it totally conflicts with our day. Anybody else have that conflict right away in our head? Oh, I want to meditate on the Lord. However, I have a work. I have na 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 and we go through our other list of the things that we want. And it conflicts with the one thing that I ask of the Lord. My question is, why can't we do this one thing that we ask of the Lord while wanting other things? Why can't they go hand in hand? Why can't you work on the things that you want for your house while meditating on the Lord? Ta-da! Dishes. Already fun to do for the first time ever because you get to meditate while taking care of the dishes that you wanted so badly and now you wish you didn't have because they're dirty. <laughs> Anybody else have that problem? Everything that we want, we get, and then it gets dirty or old or outdated or something, and we're like, ugh. This one thing that we ask the Lord never tarnishes, never fades. It only becomes sweeter and grander and deeper and richer every time we're in it. There's beauty. There's beauty in desiring time with the Lord. Verse 6. I want to read verse 6, and then I want to jump over to Mark 8. Verse 6 says this, And now my head shall be lifted up. It'll be lifted up above my enemies, above those enemies that are all around me. My question to you, um, Bible student, who are your enemies? Biblically speaking, who are your enemies? Sometimes we hear enemies and we think of human beings, do we not? 
And then we think of Ephesians 6 and we conclude, oh, those aren't on my enemies. My enemies are not in the flesh. I might not like that person, but they're not my enemy. I might not be able to handle seeing their face at times, but that's not my enemy. When I hear them speak, it gets down to my soul and I can't handle it. That's not your enemy. That's a human being a human. Get over that. Our enemies, according to scripture, are so much greater, so much more powerful than flesh and blood. And here David says, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies that are all around me. Do you ever feel like you are surrounded by the enemy of God, surrounded by evil that wants to just tear your house apart, your life apart, your marriage apart, your children apart, always being attacked. And you wonder why. And you think, because scripture says there's a lion prowling around seeking to devour me. You're not wrong when you're thinking this world is evil. You're not wrong when you think I feel like I'm just constantly under attack. You're not wrong when you're thinking I'm always being battled against. You're scriptural. You're correct because Satan does not want you to succeed, but God does. And God has a lot more power than Satan ever will, which is why Satan became Satan, is it not? He wanted God's power. He wanted it so badly that he lost everything that he had and he's still trying to get it. He still hasn't learned his lesson. Ever think that like, why hasn't he gotten over this? He's never learned. He's still wanting. He's still struggling with pride after all these years. Grow up. I don't know if you're allowed to say that. David says, my head will be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. And you think of the position of his head being higher than the enemies and his viewpoint, how different his viewpoint is. When you're face to face with something, all you see is that face in front of you, right? But when you're higher and above and you're seeing the aerial view of what's going on, you can see the game plan a little bit better. This is where David is. David says, you've lifted up my head, not just in confidence, not the confidence that I proclaimed in verse three. He says, I have this confidence also because I can see. You've lifted me up above my enemies that are all around me and I can see what you're doing. And when we can see what we're doing, we can pray with even more power and say, God, I can feel the enemy around me in the name of Jesus Christ. I want that gone. And guess what Satan has to do at that very moment? He has to flee. He has no choice. As a daughter of the king, as a person believing in Jesus Christ, as a daughter of God filled with the Holy Spirit, you have that power to tell evil to go. You have that power. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, you have that power. Don't you dare tell Satan to go away from you without use of the name of Jesus Christ. You have that power. He says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies that are all around me, and I will get what you want. The only way to get what you want is to proclaim that I will. David says, I want this so badly. And then he says a time and again in this chapter, and I encourage you to study this throughout this week, but he says, I will offer where? In his tent. This one thing that I ask you of the Lord is that I can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then he says, I will offer in his tent. 
this is what I want, God, and this is what I'm going to do to get it. Now, I'm not just going to frivolously say, oh, I want to spend more time with you, God. I want to read your Bible more as you walk away and do something else. I want my prayer life to be richer. I want it to be more. I want this to be greater. I want this to be deeper. And we use all these words that are of comparison. Have you ever noticed that? We want things enough. We're not praying enough. We're not talking to God enough. We're not reading our Bible enough. We're not witnessing enough. When we focus on the word enough, and that's a comparison word. You're comparing your wish that you have of the Lord with what you used to have. Or you're comparing your wish to the Lord with what you want it to look like, what you think it should look like, or what other people are demonstrating in their life. Have you ever done that? Oh, the one thing I ask of the Lord is that my walk will be as strong as that person's walk is. But you have no idea what their walk is. You might be able to see them walk into church and look great with their Bible in their hand. You have no idea what's going on in their heart. You have no idea what's going on in their head. You have no idea what just happened in their home. You have no idea what health issues they're going through. You have no idea what struggles they're facing, what temptations they're facing, what trials they're in the midst, what evil is attacking them. You have no idea what that person is going through. Don't you dare want to live in their life. Live in yours. Because you are the one that has the relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that look like? If your foundation is truly the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ controls you, like we talked about last week, then what are you going to do today to make it sweet without comparing it? Don't compare it. Get it. Get it today. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today. Today is the day of your salvation. Reconcile your relationship with Jesus today. Follow what David says. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Oh, that we focus on that line this week. That is going to look so different with so many of us because not all of us shout with joy. When was the last time you shouted with joy? And if you were to go home in your closet with the door closed and your humans far from your house and you practiced a shout of joy, what would that look like? You ever thought about that? I'm home alone. <clears throat> I'm going to shout with joy. I would not be good with that. I am not a expressive hallelujah. I'd be like joy. And then I would like feel weird. Our shouts of joy is going to look different. It doesn't have to be our voice proclaiming a literal shout from a heart that is spilling out of joy. Because that's what I picture in my head, like what it should look like. There's a singer that sang for a Christmas special. And in the middle of his song, he's, he just sings a shout of joy. And it lasted for like... Minutes. I feel like it lasted for minutes, and the whole time I'm listening to this singer proclaim, not in word, but in shout, this joyful sound. I hear that, and I think, that's, what it, that's a shout of joy. Yes, that's what I want. I can't sing. It would not be pretty if I got before my king and pretended to do that. My sweet father would be like, oh, sweet daughter. 
you're cute. What does your shout of joy look like? I can tell you exactly what my shout of joy looks like. And I say this with as much awe of my God that I get to do this. When I get to open up the word of God and teach one person who wants to hear it, to me, that is my sacrifice of shouts of joy. Like it fills me and I feel like it's nothing more than a shout of joy coming from my mouth when I get to read scripture out loud. That's what my shout of joy and I haven't thought about that twice until just right now talking to you guys. What is that sacrifice that you give to the God? And it's not that heavyweight sacrifice. It's not that sacrifice that says, okay, I'm going to give. What is that sacrifice that comes forth out of your bones? A shout of joy. What does that look like for you? What does that look for, like for you today? Get it. Go get it. Do it today. Which means we have to ask ourselves, how can I do that today? Answer that question. Can I be so pointed? Because if all we do every day, every today, is say, I want this today, but we don't do anything about getting it today, then do you really want it? Get what you want. Your relationship with Jesus, what do you want? How rich is your request? How sweet is your request? Does your request involve your hands? Then use your hands today in that exact manner. Even if it's a 1% of what you want it to look like, do what you can. Because when you use 1% and then tomorrow that 1% multiplies, you're now using 2% of your hands for the glory of God and you're getting what you want. And every time you use that, it grows. So what you want involve your feet. What do you want? When we look over Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, there are so many, many stories where individuals bring themselves or a person to Jesus. Is there a story that's going through your mind right now of a person that presents themselves to Jesus in the flesh or a person that brings somebody to Jesus in the flesh? Can you think of a story? Can you think of a time recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John where Jesus says, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? What is your request? Can you think of a story where a human asked Jesus, this is, this is what I want. I think of a woman that was not worthy to eat the food at the table. And Jesus tells her, you're not, you're not, a, you're not a Jew. You're not worthy. And she says, yes, but I can eat the crumbs that fall off the table. What do you want? With this question in mind, I've been in Mark chapter 8 this week. And this is just one little story. One little story to get what you want. And my request for you, your homework this week, your non-homework, Women Inseparable homework, is pick a book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick a chapter, pick a story, and dissect it. The character in their story will include Jesus, because Jesus. But it will include another human. Study that human. What is that human doing? Health-wise, where is this person from? Ask questions. In your study guide that we have, there's a question guide. Look over that question guide and use those questions and dissect whatever story it is you choose. 
and figure out what does that person's heart want from Jesus? How does Jesus respond to what that person wants? And did that person get what that person wanted? Did that person get more than they wanted? Figure it out. Here's just one, just one little story. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark tells us in this, this passage, he writes, And they came to Bethsaida. Questions. Who are they and what is Bethsaida? The answer, they, Jesus and his disciples. Whenever you see a pronoun, ask your questions. Who is that pronoun talking about? This is Jesus. This is his disciples. They're going to Bethsaida. Bethsaida, and we're not going to do a study on Bethsaida, but I will tell you I did a study on Bethsaida. Fascinating little village. Little village. There's a park in Meridian um, called Fuller. This park is about 24, 25 acres, if I'm correct. That little park in Meridian is a couple acres bigger than Bethsaida. I walk this park frequently. And it's interesting to me that this tiny little park that has got ball fields and a pond that my dog loves to run is bigger than this little town, this little village of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was home of the hunter, home of fishermen. Fishermen. This is what it's known for. It was on the top of the Sea of Galilee. So there are Galileans that live in Bethsaida. In this little town, a man named Philip was born. Some of us may recognize that name. In this little town, a fisherman named Andrew was born. Some of us may know that name. Andrew believed in Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. So much so that he ran. He knew what he wanted. He wanted his brother. He wanted his brother to know Jesus. Andrew, this fisherman from a town of fishermen, ran to his brother, who is also a fisherman, and said, Brother, I found the one. And his brother said, No. But then his brother opened his eyes, and he saw, and he learned, and his brother's name was Simon. We know him very well as Peter. This is Peter's hometown. Peter was married. His home was in this town. So at the time, Jesus and his disciples went to Bethsaida. How happy was Peter at this moment? Because Peter's wife didn't travel with him when Peter was traveling with Jesus. So if you're Peter remembering the story, Peter's heart is saying, I'm going home. My wife, I get to see my wife. Do you see the emotions in this one tiny little sentence? Sometimes we read our Bible and we forget that it's like somebody's account. Somebody's heart is in this. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him, brought to Jesus, a blind man and begged him to touch him. Lots of pronouns, so we'll take out those pronouns. And some people, however, we don't know who these some people are. This is fascinating to me. Many times though, some people are father and mother bringing their children. There's no identity of these some people. They're not friends. We think of Mark chapter 2. Mark tells us in chapter 2 that friends brought a friend to Jesus. These are not friends that are bringing this person. It's not a parent. It's not a sibling. Because Mark gives us those family details. But in this, there's no family detail. It's interesting to me. Just some people. Crazy. What was that connection? What did these some people see in this blind man? That these some people, this group, saw this blind man and thought, Come on, I'm going to take you to Jesus. 
That's a very intimate thing because he was blind, so that they had to touch him. And when we think of other blind stories in the Bible, oftentimes the blind are found begging, not socially interactive with others. Who was this man who had some people that were willing to guide him physically, touch him, and take him to Jesus? I want to know who those some people are. The Bible doesn't give us all our answers. This is added to my question when I get to heaven. Um, God, can you point me into the direction of some people? Because I want to meet some people. I want to know. I want to know who these people are. And some people brought to Jesus a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. This blind man, who socially would be considered a beggar, had some people begging for him. Who was this man? I don't know. Jesus knew. Jesus knew so much about this man that there's so many questions that just sit in my mind and I don't have the answers. And I love that I don't have these answers. Look at verse 23. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand. See that intimacy and that trust. And Jesus led the blind man out of the village. That's interesting to me. This man was not a man from Bethsaida. We don't know where he lived, but he did not live in Bethsaida. He was not a fisherman. He was not known for being a hunter. He was not from Bethsaida. But some people brought him into the village because Jesus was there. Some people brought him in. Jesus took him by the hand and took him right back out of the village. Why? Interesting. And when he, when Jesus had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And the man looked up and he said these words. He says, I see people, but they look like trees that are walking. It's another question of mine. This man had Jesus touch him and heal him. And there's something that Jesus knew about this man's heart, something that this man, this particular blind man needed to learn, that Jesus slowly healed him. What was it that Jesus knew about this man that is not being told us in this story? Jesus touched him. How many times did Jesus touch people? How many times did Jesus touch the dead and they rose up talking? But in this particular situation, Jesus touches this man and stops the healing process and says, what do you see? I wonder if Jesus wanted this man to want what he was seeking a little bit more. Because one thing that the story, another thing the story doesn't tell us is what dialogue was happening between Jesus and this man as they were walking out of the village. That's what started my search on Bethsaida. I wanted to know how long was Jesus holding hands and talking to this man and how much dialogue they were having. Were they walking for miles? Were they walking for minutes? How long were they walking to get out of this village? And what conversation was he having with this blind man? And what did that conversation sound like? We don't know. Nor do we know what one another's conversations sound like when you have a private walk with Jesus. 
How sweet are those conversations? But in this 20-acre village, let's say they were in the middle of the village and walked out, 10 acres they walked. It's not a long walk, but it's long enough to have a sweet conversation. And there was something poured out in that conversation where Jesus says, what do you see? And he says, I kind of see. I kind of see, but I don't see clearly. And Jesus doesn't leave him there, but he allows him to see unclear for a moment. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wanted something from Jesus and you got a taste of it, but it wasn't fully what you were craving? What happened at that moment? Did you keep seeking or did you quit? This man wanted to keep seeking. And Jesus touched him again. Verse 25 says, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And the blind man, or shall we say, the man opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Everything. This one thing I ask of the Lord, this one thing that I will seek after. This blind man knew what he wanted. He had people that were begging on his behalf of what he wanted. And Jesus very slowly revealed it to him. Don't give up. If what you're seeking from the Lord takes time, because it might take time, Little by little, deeper by deeper, sweeter by sweeter, it'll take time. What do you want of the Lord? Are you willing to seek it? And are you willing to continue seeking it if the first time you seek it, you don't see it? There's a difference between seeking and seeing. Are you willing to continue your search until you see it clearly? One verse I encourage you to memorize would be Proverbs 27, 16. When it comes with your walk with the Lord, Proverbs 27, 16 says, A righteous man, a man who knows the Lord is their Savior, a woman who knows the Lord is her Savior, a righteous man falls seven times. We've heard that, right? But that's not the end of the phrase. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Don't get hung up on the fact that you fell that you stumbled, that you compared, that you tripped up, that you had a tough time in your relationship with Jesus, that you sought after something, but you didn't see it, so you gave up. Give yourself grace and get up. Get your head lifted up above the evil that surrounds you and see again and go again because the righteous man rises seven times. Reword it. Yes, the righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again, which another way of saying it is the righteous man rises seven times. Seven times is the number of perfection. You will rise again. Rise again. Not good. The last thing Jesus says to this man in verse 26 of Mark chapter 8, he says, And Jesus sent the man to his home, which tells us he's not from Bethsaida, because he gives this direct um, command. He says, do not even enter the village. Jesus took this blind man out of the village intentionally. Why? I don't know. But this man went into the village seeking Jesus. Jesus found him and took him out of the village and then allowed him to see. There was something in that village that he was looking for. And Jesus says, you're not going to see it in the village. 
I'm going to change your entire setting and I want you to see things clearly outside of the village. Don't even go into the village. Why? Because Jesus knew something about this man that you and I don't know. And Jesus met that man where he was in his heart as he was and says, come with me. I've got something to show you. And what I have to show you, what I want you to see has nothing to do with that place. It has everything to do with right here, right now. Now go home. What are you seeking after? And are you willing to go in the direction God wants you to go and obey in what God wants you to obey and go home? See things clearly. Don't worry about what other people know about you. If you wrote your story, would there be details that you would not add? Mm -hmm. Would there be conversations that you had with the Lord that you would not want recorded? Respect this man's space. He had a private, intimate conversation with Jesus, and we just know a snapshot of it. You had that same encounter. You get to have that same time with your Jesus and nobody else needs to know details. It doesn't matter what you want from the Lord. Other people don't need to know. You need to know and you need to seek. You need to seek. You are the only one who can seek after what you want. Get what you want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for our stories. Thank you for those conversations that we've had with you, that we get to have with you, that we're having with you and in our hearts even right now. Those conversations are so intimate. They're so personal. I thank you for trusting us with your words and that we get to trust you with our words. We get to say things to you that we would never trust other people with. I thank you for respecting us and for loving us in spite of our truth. I thank you for seeing us, not as a blind man, but as a woman who loves you. I pray that wherever we are, that you'll take us where we need to be. I pray whatever it is that we want from you and that we, we want with you, that you'll help us to get it. I pray that we'll seek after it. I pray that you'll open our eyes clearly to what it is you would have us to seek grow our relationship with you so deeply, so personally, not because of what others are going to see, but because of our time with you. Oh, Jesus, we want you. We want to seek your face. I pray that you'll be with those things that we want. I pray that you'll help us today to seek. Give us grace upon ourselves and let us walk in your light, for you are our light. You are our salvation. You are our refuge, dear Lord. In this we are confident. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Telegram at WI Online. If you need prayer, contact us at womeninseparable at gmail.com.